Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, we are featuring a heartening conversation with Holocaust survivor, psychologist, and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Edith Eva Eager, about choosing to embrace what's possible, overcoming trauma, and inspiring others through story. This conversation originally aired on our sister podcast, Be Well Together, a weekly series that highlights luminary speakers and well-being experts to provide insights and tips related to all aspects of mental, physical, and social well-being. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's join the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Be Well Together. My name is Chrissy Coleman. I'm a lead solution engineer on the health and life sciences team. I'm also a proud member of GenForce, which is an equality resource group here at Salesforce that represents all generations and deepens connections within every stage of life. Today's topic is especially significant to me as I'm navigating raising Jewish, Korean, American children and keenly aware of the importance of cross-generational discussions layered with religion and culture. Also joining the conversation and co-hosting with me is Jordan Manor. He's a senior talent partner on the global career development team. Thanks, Chrissy. And I'm so happy to be here as a proud member of the Salesforce Jewish tribe. It's an affinity group that advocates for the integrity and safety of Jewish employees, especially around anti-Semitism. And we hope to raise awareness today for Salesforce's Jewish community so they know where to go for support when needed. Thanks, Jordan. August is GenForce Champion Month at Salesforce, as well as Ally Month. And I can't think of a better person to be joining us to help celebrate. Today's guest is a true inspiration. As a teenager, during Nazi-occupied Eastern Europe in 1944, she lived through one of the darkest moments in human history, and now continues to share her story and help others overcome grief and trauma. It is such a great honor to introduce Holocaust survivor, Dr. Edith Ava Eager. Spending most of her career as a licensed psychologist, she has a clinical practice and is an assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego. At 90 years young, Dr. Edie authored her award-winning memoir, The Choice, Embrace the Possible, which is internationally acclaimed and became a New York Times bestseller. Soon after, she wrote her second book, another bestseller entitled The Gift, 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. Hello, Dr. Edie, and a very warm welcome to Be Well Together. We're so grateful to have you with us today. I couldn't be more honored because I like to be a good role model to you that the young people I call ambassadors, ambassadors for peace and goodwill. And I hope to be a good role model because I don't look at the chronological age You know, it's all about your attitude. People say that time heals. I don't think time heals. I think it's what you do with the times that is important. And so I'm busy. I get up early. I am not having any time to retire. And hopefully I can let you know that work and love and passion for life is something that I practice every day. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Dr. Edie, in the opening, I mentioned that you were in your teenage years during the Holocaust. As a Jewish girl from Hungary, would you please share some of your story with us? What happened to you and your family during the Nazi occupation? I tell you very quickly, my father was conducting a Passover in my home. And then he got up and kissed us on the head and told us to go to sleep. And a couple hours later, we were picked up by the Hungarian Nazis and thrown into this wagon and taken to the city hall where people were gathered. And then from there, we found ourselves in a cattle car. I must tell you what my mother told me because I say that in every school that I go to, she said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put here in your own mind. And this is what I say today, that the biggest concentration camp is in your own mind and the key is in your pocket because your attitude made all the difference. All we had was each other. It was cooperation, not competition and no domination. I ended up dancing for Dr. Mengele and you'll read it in a book, what happens when something like that happens, the unexpected, the unanticipated. And I closed my eyes and I imagined I was at the Budapest Opera dancing the Romeo and Juliet. I want to also tell you that when we arrived, there was a sign, Arbeit marked Fry, and my father says, no problem, we're just going to work and go home. But that didn't happen at all. I stood in line, my mother in the middle, my sister Magda and I, my sister Clara was already in a camp and her Christian professor by the name of Waldbauer smuggled her out and hit her until the end of the war. So when I came back from Vienna to Prague and I started to walk on the street, I saw a picture of my sister giving a concert. Imagine, imagine how amazing that was. And so uh, my sister is a hundred years old, but she tells you that she's 99. <laughs> so I, I think that you do the most important work because this is your calling. It's not a job. You know, this is, this is what you were born to do. And so congratulations, and I, I hope that you'll never stop. And children don't do what we say, they do what they see. So I always say that the best thing for children is a happy marriage. I hope your parents are happily married. I, I am here to tell you that uh, love is not what you feel, it's what you do. And we have to transcend our me, me, me and commit ourselves to each other. So when Dr. Mengele gave me a piece of bread after I danced for him, 
I was very hungry. I wanted to gobble it up. But thank God I looked at my sister with the girls and I climbed up and shared the bread. And when I was in a death march from Mauthausen, Austria, to Gunskirchen, I began to stop. And you know what? The girls that I shared the bread with came and they carried me so I wouldn't die. All we had was each other then, and all we have is each other now. So I was very happy to get up this morning as early as I could to get myself ready for you. Thank you so yes. much, Dr. Edie. And as a grandson of a Holocaust survivor, I have to say that your resilience is awe-inspiring and incredibly moving to me. Thank you so much for sharing that story. You said that you survived the concentration camp by shifting your mindset with the realization that it was the guards all around you, the Nazi soldiers, who were actually imprisoned within their own moral code and hatred. In this situation, how did you come around to choosing that life-saving attitude? I was 16, I was in love. We were very Zionistic. With my boyfriend and I, we were gonna go to Palestine. And um, so we had our gold and uh, he told me I have beautiful eyes and beautiful hands. And all I was doing is asking everyone, tell me about my hands and tell me about my eyes. And I said to myself, if I survive today, then tomorrow. I was always in the future that this is temporary. I don't like it, it's inconvenient, and I can survive it. And I am, so I think this positive attitude and to be oh, always talking to myself. I think Jewish people are very good in talking to themselves. <laughs> listen to your spirit, listen to your voice, you know? It's, it's a good thing to do. You have a good spirit and you stay in school and you pick up as many, many, many uh, PhDs or MDs or whatever you can pick up because the more pieces of paper you pick up, more doors open up for you. You know, Dr. Edie, you talked about something really, really important here. Um, you know, as we saw, you know, in the Jewish people are strong people, um, but anti-Semitism never run away after the Holocaust. Um, mm -hmm. We have distressing data from the Anti-Defamation League that shows anti-Semitism is increasing at an unprecedented rate. There yeah. were over 2,700 anti-Semitic incidents across the U.S. last year, which was a 34% increase from the year prior, which is huge. And some recent examples are the terrorist attack on a synagogue in Colville, Texas. And right here in my own backyard in New York, in Brooklyn, a Jewish man was attacked for wearing a shirt with an Israeli defense logo on it. Can you tell us more about what you think may be thinking contributing to this and what the Jewish community can do to combat this alarming rise? Let me tell you why I am a proud Jew. My ancestors were slaves, and then they were liberated, and they joined this guy called Moses, 
and they went to the desert and they started to walk over 40 years and never gave up. That's what I bring you, hope. I spoke to over 100,000 Ukrainians never ever to give up hope. These are people ask me, are you happy? I don't know what this word means. I don't know because when I go and find that the families are separated and uh, they don't know what's going to happen. Four o'clock in the morning, I did not know what's going to happen today, whether I may end up in a gas chamber. When I took a shower, I did not know whether water or gas is going to come out. And this is, you know, the situation we are in right now. Anti-Semitism has been with us. I went to a Jewish school, and when I came out, children were spitting at me and calling me a Christ killer. So this is nothing new that we're talking about. Unfortunately, there is prejudice, which means to prejudge. Because when I came to America, and uh, I got seven cents to cut off boxer short. So I was working very, very, very fast. But then I ran into the bathroom and one of them said colored. And this is 1949 in America, in Baltimore, in a factory. And I realized that there is no democracy here. I gathered with the women of color I ended up with Martin Luther King in Washington in 1963 with the mamas and the papas singing, We Shall Overcome, that's way before your time. And I marched with Martin Luther King, I was with Birmingham, I was in the church where nine students were killed. And so, um, History has a tendency to repeat itself. And yes, I think it's good for us not to overlook or minimize or deny. People use a lot of defense mechanism, denial, delusion. You know, yes, it is here. Yes, it is. And hate is not something we're born with. We learn it. So the us and the mentality is here. And that's why I congratulate you because you are the ambassador. You are doing everything in your power to let people know what happens when good people do bad things, yeah. very bad things. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. They asked me where was God in Auschwitz? God did not kill my parents, people did. Hmm. Thanks, Dr. Edie. You shared quite a bit around um, traumatic events, and I think post-traumatic stress disorder um, is an important topic here. So as a renowned trauma recovery therapist, you've spent a lot of your professional life working with members of the military, helping them cope with the effects of PTSD. Um, how do you actually pull from your own past and personal experiences to help others? I, I think I like to let you know a little bit about Dr. Seligman. Um, 
who talks about learned helplessness, because when I was liberated, people would go through the gate, and after a while they would come back and sit down. I see that with battered wives, he hits her, she leaves, and a few weeks later, he said, I miss you, I love you, and she's back, she's coming back. And that's why it's very important, very important for us not to overlook that um, all we have is each other, but you want to find the Hitler in you. You know, Mother Teresa was at Scripps here in La Jolla, California. Mm. And when she woke up from one of her um, procedures, she asked my doctor, Larry Klein, do you know my Jesus? So the, oh, he's stuttering, stammering, doesn't know what to say. And finally he said, you know, Mother Teresa, I don't think I know your Jesus because I am Jewish. And she said, that's wonderful because my Jesus is Jewish too. So we all come from that Jewish boy who died as a Jew, who was a rabbi, and told us to love thy neighbor as thyself. He also knew how to talk to people on their level. I don't say a 10-year-old that you have cognitive dissonance. They don't know that language. I say, sounds like, and then I put a feeling word next to it. Sounds like you said, or mad, or glad, whatever. They correct you anyway. You don't have to worry which feeling word. And so I think it's very important also, uh, the last thing that I may tell you about Jesus, when he said, turn the other cheek, I don't think he's saying, to go back and do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. I think he said, look at the same thing from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at Auschwitz to you as an opportunity to discover my inner resources. When nothing came outside, dependency breeds depression. And so it was important um, to see that it wasn't recovery, it was discovery, discovering my inner strength, discovering knowing that uh, the situation is terrible. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I am in a present and I do everything in power to see to it that it's temporary and I can survive it. Remember, I'm 16, I'm in love. Dr. Dr. Victor Frankl was in his studies and he was a medical doctor, and yet we used the same skill, how to dissociate and how to pretend. He was pretending to be in Vienna, lecturing on the psychology of the concentration camp. And I told him, I too closed my eyes and pretended I'm at the Budapest Opera dancing the Romeo and Juliet. That was the first thing I did when I went to Budapest. I you went to the Opera, opera House oh, and remembered. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'd like to touch on the generational trauma topic. So we're learning a lot 
now about how trauma can be passed down from one family member to another. It's a new field of study. And um, I think there's a lot more to learn still, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on intergenerational trauma. Um, and since it can be an unspoken wound, how can people start to tell that they're actually being affected? Um, and what can they do to start healing? You know, I was in therapy and then I told one day the therapist to sit on me and not to allow me to get up. I had tremendous problems with anger. And you know what? There is no forgiveness without rage. You got the fist up. Yes. <laughs> scream it out. But five years later, don't scream still. You know, I think all therapy is grief. It's a post-traumatic stress reaction. You know, we pathologize yeah. too much. We have to demythologize. Mm. You know, life is difficult. Look at your birth certificate. There is no guarantee. There is no certainty. There is probability. And I remember I discovered in Auschwitz how to really listen to my self-dialogue. And I think Jewish people are very good at that, that anything they do, they ask, is it important? Is it necessary? And most of all, is it kind? Mm -hmm. If it's not kind, you don't say it. I do that when I have, I did that last night. I had dinner with my children and with my great grandsons. They're wonderful, Nia. Neon and uh, Dylan, uh, twins, beautiful twins. And uh, it's amazing to see how they communicate with each other. And, uh, and they don't fight or hit each other ever. I, I think it's very good to know that communication, give and take, uh, was very important. I had my Jewish teacher there, and when I was asked to dance, I remember her finger. Have you ever seen that finger? I don't know, with like a bony, very strong. <laughs> you go and do as I told you. <laughs> there, was, there was no question. I didn't have a choice. I had to do what the teacher told me to do. You know what? She made it. She made it through, and I don't know how she got through when she was over 40 years old, but she was the first one to get up. So I am in my latrine, and next to me there is a girl who found a mirror. It was an amazing thing. And so in a few minutes, she's sitting before the mirror and tells me, I am in Versailles and with Marie Antoinette and I'm fixing my beautiful hair. Imagination. It was just amazing. 
look at this naked little body, no hair, and she's in Versailles with Marie Antoinette. So imagination was very, very, very important. And I always imagine myself with my boyfriend going to Palestine. And I am not a strong woman. I am a woman of strength. And I think what Jewish people are, that no matter what happens, we find some good in everything. There is hope in hopelessness. And yes, I was liberated May 4th, 1945, in a place called Gunzkirchen. And one of the liberators is a man who I met, who I met, who was Jewish and part of the 71st Infantry that liberated me. You may want to oh. interview him too. Yeah, I can. We can give you all the information. So it 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 is really amazing. Uh, I am ninety four years old. I'll be ninety five hopefully in September, and I'm a Libra. I you know I look at both sides. So on the one hand and the other hand, I can drive a waiter nutty. I order the fish, and next thing I know, I change my mind. I, I need to learn how to make up my mind, what I'm going to order and stick to it. <laughs> and and um, it's very good to really look at your, your numbers. I call Jung said it's better than psychological um, testing that what is your number? Do you know when, when is your birthday? My birthday's in December. I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> Sagittarius. And I, I'm a April 30th. I'm a Taurus. I think I think you're doing very, very, very good work. I hope that you're working, loving, and playing, that you have a good balance in life, and stay in school, of course, as long as you can, because the more pieces paper you pick up, more doors open up for you. So 34 is a good time to know what you want to do to have a career and uh, possibly become financially and emotionally independent. You're nodding. That's <laughs> what you're doing, right? You like what you do. I do love what I do. Uh, I feel very fortunate and uh, blessed for that. And also that I got to meet Christy too, and we have the chance to connect with you today. Um, and I love being an advocate for the Jewish people. It's something that I do personally and really make sure that anti-Semitism is something that's understood and how it comes from so many different places, right? It can come from the left, it could come from the right, but there was a TEDx talk that you gave and you talked about courage being a choice. And when I think about courage, I think about allyship. And I think real change can happen when you have allies. So how can allies support the Jewish community as we are seeing this resurgence in anti-Semitism? You know, when I was in a hospital, I was waiting every day to see my parents. 
and my dent have anything else to think about. But my parents never did show up, and I became very suicidal. You know, it's easier to die than to live. And I think God spoke to me and told me that I want to be for something rather than against something. And that's when I chose life. We're talking about the quality of life. Firstborn children, when they get married, you have two bosses. You have, they seem to have a power struggle. Middle children are peacemakers. They want everybody to get along with everybody else. You know how we call young people? Charming manipulators. So, two more questions. <laughs> One is, when did your childhood end? An immigrant of a child becomes the parent to the parent. My daughter taught me how to speak English, how to eat peanut butter, and how to eat tuna fish. And I've never seen any of that. So the question is, when did your childhood end? The second question is more interesting. Would you like to be married to you? Hmm. Chrissy, I'll defer this to you first. <laughs> uh, those, are, those are such important questions to think about. My mother is also an immigrant. And so I have similar stories of how, you know, the English language was part of my lessons for her. So that gray area of childhood and yeah. adulthood happened much earlier than I think for a lot of other people. Um, and Jordan, curious what you would answer for that one. You yeah, know, there is a difference between needing and wanting. I just want to say that before I forget, because needs are things without which we cannot survive. Yes. Like we need to breathe. We need to sleep because, you know, we hallucinate. I think very important to really think before you think about your thinking. And when someone tells you, I need you, run. You want a whole person, you want a baked potato, not a half-baked one. You know, sometimes women pick up artsy, craftsy, a man, and they go and work and support him. And then he leaves for another woman because there is no enough pizzazz. So I've been through this for 50 years, and I want you to know, marry yourself for a while and be a good parent to yourself because the only one you get for a lifetime is you. All other relationships will end. Mm. All right. So moving back behind all of the news and headlines and history are stories like you've been sharing with us today, which are so wonderful. Um, you wrote your memoir at age 90 and then another book at 93, which is a true testament that we all have so much to offer one another at any age and at any stage of life. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to begin writing and 
what life-changing lessons are you hoping to pass on to generations like Jordan in mine? Well, you know, I see myself as climbing the mountain and sleeping and climbing, and I never stop climbing. So the question is, are you revolving or are you evolving? You know, it's like the metamorphosis and then you shed the chrysalis. So my definition of love is the ability to let go. Let go of the need for other people to love you. So after this talk, I may come to you and tell you, I hope uh, you like me too, because I really would like to be your friend. And you tell me that you're very sorry. You're not interested. Now remember, rejection, no such thing. It's just an English word that people make up to express a feeling when you don't get what you want. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. It all has to do with my expectation. If I'm realistic or unrealistic, if I am idealistic, it's very important to know that when the idealists come and they don't find what they're looking for, they can become very pessimistic, very bitter, you know. Don't let anything outside of you get to you. Be very selective who's going to get your anger. So they wanted to know what inspired you to write your book. <laughs> For many years, people asked me, write a book, write a book. For many years, I say, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Can you hear me? I have nothing to say. I got, after a while, I said, leave me alone. And then, Philip Zimbardo told me from Stanford that the people who survived and famous are men, that we need a female voice. And that's the choice, a female voice of Victor Frank. And oh, then people told me, that's not good enough. We need something more practical. <laughs> so the practical is the gift yes. that you, you read a chapter and then it's how to, what you can do. And the, the newest one that comes out has recipes. Hopefully we can send you a, a book with recipes. Um, my assistant has surgery this morning. She'll be here in two weeks. And so you can remind her, her name is Katie, and we'll send you a All book right. with the recipe. Yes. And you can make Wiener schnitzel and chicken paprika. I, I would love to make a, your schnitzel. Um, I love the it's balance good. of both of your books. That's such wonderful topics. Dr. Edie, we are so grateful to you for sharing your story with us and supporting so many people from one generation to the next. Um, a big thank you to Dr. Edie and to Jordan um, and to everyone who joined the call. Remember, be happy, be healthy, and be well. Bye, everyone. Take care, everyone. Thank you thank so much, you Dr. Thank you very Ma. much. You. I love you so much. You're the future. You are the ambassadors for peace and goodwill. 
Shalom. Much love to you. Holocaust survivor, psychologist, and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Edith Eva Eager. In conversation with Chrissy Coleman and Jordan Manor from Salesforce on our Be Well Together series. Be sure to check out more episodes of Be Well Together by going to Salesforce Plus. That's salesforce.com slash P-L-U-S. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce Studios, produced by Rachel Levin and Courtney Eltinge, with a special thanks to our sound engineers, Ryan Kleeman and Michelle Luong, and to Andrew Duncan for composing our theme song. I'm Michael Revo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.